But once they integrate GPT in there, somebody like me will be able to say, build me an app that keeps track of all the beers that I've had in the past year. <laughs> Just to put an example out there. How many terabytes of cloud storage <laughs> did that require? Many, many. <laughs> Welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. This week on the show, Microsoft, OpenAI, GPT, and the future of search and enterprise technology. My guest this week is Mary Jo Foley, who has covered Microsoft for many years and is now the editor at Directions on Microsoft. You can find her work at directionsonmicrosoft.com slash blog. Mary Jo, it's great to have you here. Hey, Todd. Nice to be back doing a podcast with you. It's been too long. We wanted to have you on to talk about the news this week, which was broken by the news site, The Information, which reported that Microsoft is preparing to incorporate OpenAI's chat GPT technology into the Bing search engine. But I wanted to start first, Mary Jo, just with your big picture impressions of this partnership between Microsoft and OpenAI it dates back to a billion-dollar investment that Microsoft made in OpenAI back in 2019. How would you describe the strategic importance of this partnership for Microsoft? So when Microsoft first announced this in 2019, I kind of took it as a pay-for-play type announcement. Huh. I didn't really give it its full weight, I don't think. I was like, okay, they invested a billion dollars in OpenAI. Um, and in exchange, OpenAI says Azure is their exclusive cloud provider. Okay, tit for tat, right? That's that's good. Microsoft got a big, high-profile win. But as the years have unfolded, you see that this is a lot more than that. And there have been more layers added to this partnership. Microsoft built a supercomputer for OpenAI to run their models. Then in 2020, Microsoft and OpenAI announced that Microsoft is the exclusive licensee of GPT-3, which is a natural language model, which has kind of taken the world by storm. Um, now you're seeing Microsoft integrate this GPT-3 technology into all parts of their business, into GitHub, into Power Platform. And now this rumor, which I believe is true, about them bringing this to Bing as well. So I would characterize this as a very big and very important partnership to Microsoft in the cloud and AI space, for sure. You mentioned GitHub, and that's one of the places where this has really stood out to me. They came out with a technology called Copilot, which people who are not coders might not be familiar with, but it's essentially like a pair programming functionality where somebody who's programming has another artificial intelligence coder alongside them supplementing what they do. It seems like it's been a pretty big deal in the world of software development. It does. Um, it's a little controversial as well. There's been a lawsuit against Microsoft over this technology, primarily because people whose code is being sampled as part of it for the machine learning models to learn are saying, wait a minute, we're not getting paid for this. They're taking our code and they're using that as a the basis for other people to be able to do their own coding. So you know, I think there, there's going to be implications of that as it goes forward. But people who've used it, they're willing to pay for it. I mean, they, they're like, wow, this is revolutionary. This is going to really change how I do my job. And it's fantastic. And uh, Microsoft has said this kind of technology could go to any industry. It's not just for programming. Like it, pair, the idea of pair programming could come to finance or it could come to retail or it could come to any other of the verticals that they're targeting. Well, let's talk about search for People who have not used ChatGPT, this is in many ways the 
culmination of the quest for answers and the whole notion that when you search and type into a box, you should be able to get back actual information, not just links, which is a whole other problem with voice assistants like Amazon's and Google's as well. But I was actually going back, Mary Jo, I remember this focus on answers being something that Microsoft has done way back. Do you remember live search answers? I do. Yep. <laughs> and even Bing, when they first came out with it, remember, they didn't want to call it a search engine. They wanted to say it was like a, a mechanism for finding answers, right? Like they were very obsessed yes. with this idea of it not just being something that returns a number of blue links. Um, that's always been kind of the holy grail, right? Exactly. And it's been something that really has not taken hold in the way that Microsoft would want it to, to the extent that Microsoft still has just a shadow of Google's overall market share in search. But this promise of ChatGPT is the notion that you're going to be able to get answers back, and it's already being demonstrated in the ChatGPT beta. What do you think the potential of incorporating this ChatGPT technology into Microsoft Bing would be? So, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people who are writing about this right now have never used Bing because <laughs> I, I see them saying, you know, well, I know not as many people, like you said, have used Bing and I use Bing a lot just because I've, I'm always trying to use Microsoft products. But when you use Bing now to do a search, you don't get a bunch of blue links, right? You get some something that looks very much like natural language responses in many cases. Like if you put in, where's the best pizza in New York City, along the top of your Bing results is like pictures of pizza from all around New York City. Then there's all these subcategories, like what kind of pizza are you talking about? Detroit style, this style, that style. So it's not, I, I feel like people are, have this misinformation in their head about what do you get right now if you use a web search and using Bing. Um, so if you take that into consideration, what does it look like to incorporate something like chat GPT? I mean, do people even want that? Like if you type in, where is the best pizza in New York City? Do you want something to come back with? Well, pizza is a popular street food, blah, blah, blah. No, you don't want that, right? <laughs> like that's what ChatGPT is good for. But I'm like, do you want that as your answer? Not necessarily, right? <laughs> so I'm not sure that the benefit of integrating it into Bing is what people are assuming. It's not to give you more natural language answers. I don't think that's really what people want. I don't think we think about search that way anymore, or maybe we never did. But I have a theory about what they could get out of this. Yes, I see where you're headed. What, what's the theory? <laughs> so a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, um, Microsoft was testing this thing called Bing Concierge. So the idea was before Cortana, that you could go into Bing and use Bing like a, your assistant. Like you could actually have a conversation with Bing. Like you could say, where is the best pizza in New York City? And it would give you an answer. And then you could say, how close is that to me? And it would give you an answer. Is it open right now? It would give you another answer. So like continuous answers that would be based on your previous question. What if this chat GPT coming to Bing is more like that? Like it's going to actually make Microsoft able to deliver this thing that was called Bing Concierge more recently has been called the Bing chat assistant, I believe. Like some people have seen this in testing. Um, what if that is what it's about more than just fixing the answers of Bing so that they look like natural language answers? Very interesting. Okay. This plays into the fact that the information which broke this story was very explicit in saying that they have no idea how chat GPT would be incorporated into Bing. Right. So 
Tell me more about this Bing chatbot. This is one story I have not followed or one rumor that I haven't tracked. Yeah. 2016, I wrote about this because I found a Microsoft job post, um, as I often do, go on the career site, troll around, find a job post. And it was all about this thing (laughs) called the Bing concierge bot. Nothing ever came of it. But then in 2021 and last year, people started reporting that they were seeing this thing pop up when they were using Bing on the web. So they they would be using Bing on the web and then there would be a little thing that looked like a chat box that would suddenly pop up and you could talk to it like it was a bot. And and people would describe this. I'm like, where is this? I don't see this. And I think what they were doing was like A-B testing. They were like trying it out in different geographies. In some cases, it had different names. Like some people actually saw names, you know, like how they used to have Tay, not to bring up a, a troubled subject. But, um, you know, Microsoft's done a lot of things over the years with these ideas of bots. So I I don't think that project ever died. I think they're still kicking around. How do you do this in a way that, observes the conventions of ethical AI and doesn't get you in trouble with the kinds of things they had problems with with Tay. Um, But you connect it to Bing somehow. What if that is the way that you get chat GPT, which is a chat bot, integrated into Bing? I don't have any firsthand information on this. I just am kind of thinking, okay, where would this go if it was going into Bing, right? And so the whole idea would be as a concierge, literally, right? like you walked up to a hotel concierge and it was virtual though on your computer and you asked, what should I do in the neighborhood? And it had a conversation with you? Maybe. You know, I think the way Microsoft thought about it when they were originally looking into this was more, what if it could be your personal assistant? The way they had the idea about Cortana before Cortana kind of imploded, not just so much like a consumer thing maybe, but also a work thing. Like it becomes your personal assistant when you're trying to figure out how to do something in your day or you're somewhere, you're using your phone and you're like, okay, this restaurant's closed. What's open that's right near me that also has Indian curry, right? So it could be something like that where it's like almost like your virtual guide or your virtual assistant. And then if we talk about the enterprise, there's also a whole other set of things that you can think about with Bing. So a lot of people, when you talk about Bing, they think about it as you know a web search engine. But Bing is more than that in Microsoft's world for the work side of the world. If you sign in with a work account into your browser and Bing starts becoming your search engine built into whatever you're doing on the web, that opens up a whole set of possibilities of, okay, what if integrating chat GPT gives you access more readily to like your work documents, your work files. Microsoft already does this with Microsoft Search, which is based on Bing in the Microsoft 365 world. But what if you could take it a step further and then kind of realize what they were trying to do with Cortana, except use this technology to do it? That's super interesting. And you have a story that as we record, you just posted on the directions on Microsoft blog, and I'll point people to that. And you make the point, this could relate not just to Bing web search queries, but also to unified Microsoft search queries. And Mm -hmm. so that actually has perhaps more implications for Microsoft's business. I agree. It's always like, what's what's Microsoft doing with Bing? And it has to do with Google, right? You automatically think they're trying to one-up Google. Yes, they are. Out in the consumer world, they are. But they have a whole other set of uses for Bing that aren't really head-to-head with Google on the web search side. I've seen people asking, okay, if Microsoft does this or if Google somehow figures out how to integrate with something like chat GPT, what are the implications for advertising? Because it always does come back to how do you make money as a company, right? And the reason Microsoft cares about search and Google cares about search is linked very tightly to advertising. 
So you can bet there are definitely work implications for this if they're thinking about what do we do with search in a workplace, but we somehow could have some advertising implications tied in. It's funny because Microsoft historically has kind of looked down on the advertising business until they started (laughs) getting traction. And I was looking this up just to refresh my memory. They made about $11.5 billion in their last fiscal year on search and news advertising. And that's not an insignificant percentage (laughs) if you you compare it to a ratio of like Windows, which is around $24.7 billion. So (laughs) this, this is actually a pretty meaningful business on its own. But as you point out, if they can tie it into their enterprise and cloud and Microsoft 365 business, that is the real money maker. Just as an example, server products and cloud services, $67 billion and office products and cloud services, $44.8 billion. So this is some pretty meaningful money if they can make that leap. Right. Agree. Yeah. It's, it's hard to predict how they can integrate this, right? Because I don't think anybody would have predicted how they would integrate GPT-3 into GitHub and come up with Copilot, right? I I think we just think of the obvious ways, but there are all these other ways that we're not thinking of because they're not obvious, right? The main idea, I think, to think about is where are areas where you need something to help you and bring out more expertise, especially in vertical markets, I feel like. I feel like that could be a big place for them to take this further, right? Right now, Microsoft's really structuring their sales business more and more around verticals. You know, all the key ones like finance, retail, healthcare that they've always been targeting, but they've been moving with these vertical cloud bundles that they have more into these verticals. And I feel like this area, bringing something like ChatGPT into a vertical where you could have very industry-specific knowledge readily available to workers right from their desktop would be amazing. Like that would be a killer app. For sure. And the interesting thing about Microsoft's OpenAI partnership is that Microsoft could effectively become the go to market strategy, to use an enterprise term, for OpenAI. And in many ways, they already are. And I like your theory, Mary Jo, because it seems like some of the most widely rumored things end up having a twist that no one ever expected. <laughs> I agree 100%. Like, who would have thought about them integrating? the GPT technology into power apps to make it even easier for people who are doing no code, low code kinds of stuff to uh, be able to structure queries about what kind of app they want to build. The idea of power platform is anybody can develop an app. Well, not really. Like up till now, you've still had to kind of have some programming savvy or at least an understanding of programming concepts. But once they integrate GPT in there, Somebody like me will be able to say, build me an app that keeps track of all the beers that I've had in the past year. <laughs> Just to put an example out there. And how many terabytes of cloud storage <laughs> did that require? Many, many. I, <laughs> I, and I say that not as a comment on your drinking, but on your uh, no, I, li- I like as an to, aficionado yeah, of, I like of to, good beer. I like to, you know, keep my knowledge up of the craft beer scene. <laughs> But you know, like to be able to just type that in, build me an app that does this. <laughs> that's that's when it becomes truly low code, no code, right? Instead of having to understand like, well, to build this, I'd have to kind of structure it like this or do this with this language. And if you could literally type in a query that and it would complete even 80% of it for you, that's game over. You've done it. That's That's what you want to do. 
And that leads to another topic that you've been reporting on lately. It's called Powerhouse. And I want to ask you about that right after this break. You're listening to GeekWire, and we will be right back. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. We're talking this week with Mary Jo Foley. She is the editor-in-chief with Directions on Microsoft, and you can find the Directions on Microsoft blog at directionsonmicrosoft.com slash blog, and you can follow Mary Jo on Twitter at Mary Jo Foley. Mary Jo, Power Platform is something you were just talking about, and that is this whole low-code method of developing apps. Microsoft's one of a number of companies that are offering technology like this, but you've been reporting recently on an extension of that called Powerhouse. Microsoft is not confirming this yet, but what is this as far as you know, and when might it come out? If you think about Power Platform and think as somebody who works at Microsoft and you're trying to sell this idea to people, you know, we have this really great no-code, low-code platform, has all these different parts, Power Apps, Power Automate, Power FX, all these things that'll help you get people who they call citizen developers to write apps and you won't have to tie up all of your high paid, high skilled programmers to write simple apps for you. That's that's the premise of Power Platform. But when Microsoft sales goes in to sell that, you know, that people's eyes probably glaze over unless you're in the IT department. Like IT understands that, but try to sell that to like, you know, somebody who's not that technical. It's a hard sell because it's hard yep. to explain those concepts. So the idea of Powerhouse is Microsoft develops a bunch of apps based on Power Platform that are very specific to certain vertical markets. And they're basically templates on steroids, right? Like they develop a retail app that does a very specific thing for one part of the retail operation. They give it to you. It's 80% done built on Power Platform, and you can just finish it off by customizing it for your organization, and boom, you've got this app. That's what Powerhouse apps are going to be. It's Microsoft taking Power Platform and going up a level of abstraction, basically, so that they can make it even easier to use this low-code platform. Very much targeted at not just the IT department, but people who actually you know, work in CRM, work in ERP, work in everyday jobs where they don't really even understand the constructs of programming, but they know what kind of app they need. Like, I need... I need an app to approve people's time off requests, right? I, I need this app. I know it's really probably really simple to write, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to explain to my guys what to do. And what if Microsoft comes in and says, here you go. Here's a time off approval app developed by Microsoft. Here you go. That's what powerhouse apps are. And they're talking about, from what I'm hearing from my contacts, this, the first ones may be announced this year, 2023. Um, just to show people, hey, this is where we're going with this idea. In 2024, build it out to even a bigger set of apps um, from Microsoft and start getting software vendors, other software vendors involved and say, hey, why don't you build some powerhouse apps and we'll sell them through our app stores for you or in conjunction with you on your behalf so that customers will have a whole bunch of these things built on the Power Platform at their disposal. Is the idea then that individual non-developers inside those businesses would 
customize them using low-code techniques based on the platform or based on the bare-bones code that Microsoft or partners would provide? Yep, that's what I believe is the proposition. When I've heard about this from people, they've said, you know what, Microsoft has a whole bunch of apps they've developed inside Microsoft for their own use. Like they've got finance apps that their finance department uses. They've got like relationship management apps for their supply chain organization. So why not take the guts of that, turn it into a template, call it a cash distribution app or a supply relationship management app, brand it with Microsoft, make it available to customers. And once they buy into this idea, like, oh, Microsoft's making all these little cool custom apps, uh, guess what? You need Power Platform to customize them, run them, um, and that gives them a way to more easily sell Power Platform into a broader set of companies. Yeah, I think I've seen those apps, Mary Jo. Do they call them Contoso? <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious if they came out with it. It's called the Contoso Cash Distribution app. <laughs> that was a joke for the longtime Microsoft followers. That's yes. a uh, that's a brand. It's a fake brand that Microsoft uses whenever it needs to do a demo of something that. They want to make appear as if it's a, a company actually doing it, but obviously transparently it's it's not. So when you look big picture at this, it kind of fits in with what we were talking about earlier, where people who may not have the expertise to write these programs are able to basically tell the computer or ask the computer to do it, and then it can respond to these natural language queries or to simple drag and drop in the mm -hmm. case of Power Platform. Yes. Yes. I like the name House. I don't think this will be the final branding. I mean, right now, the kind of code name or at least the common name for this is Powerhouse. And the reason it's called House, I love these esoteric connections. Um, Microsoft has this sales concept that they use internally called rooms of the house. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's um, a way of describing how their sales team sells to different personas, right? So when they had the power platform and they're talking about selling to these different personas and organizations, they're like, oh, power plus house, powerhouse. Perfect. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but it might just be a code name. I think it will be a code name. I think, sadly, as many Microsoft products end up, it'll just become like part of premium licensing for Power Platform or something. It won't even be some cool brand with some cool icon or anything. I think it'll just be more, if you have Power Platform Premium, you get all these custom apps that we're building right now. We're talking this week with Mary Jo Foley. She is the editor-in-chief at DirectionsOnMicrosoft.com, and we'll be right back. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop talking this week with Mary Jo Foley, longtime technology journalist who's focused for decades now on Microsoft. Mary Jo, I want to go big picture with you. First off, we're here at the beginning of a new year, not a new fiscal year for Microsoft. We're at the half year point for that. But what would be your 
thumbnail sketch of where this company stands today. I know I'm hitting you with this cold, so if you want to <laughs> give it some thought. Like, if you were to give me your summary of the state of Microsoft, how would you put it? Hmm. I think right now they're very, very strong in AI, and not just because we're talking about AI, but I feel like more and more the way they are hoping to differentiate their cloud play is we're the AI cloud. I, I, hmm. I think I even have heard Satya Nadella say that at some point, but yeah. I feel like, you know, they've done everything they can to try to match AWS feature for feature, but now their play is we're more than just cloud infrastructure. We have a lot of other layers on top, everything from Microsoft 365 over to AI. And I think they're really going to play up this AI connection in 2023. That's that's where I would go if I were them, because I feel like it's something they have some unique capabilities in and some differentiators. You know, Google has a very strong AI presence too, but I feel like that would be a nice way to kind of say, this is what makes Azure different from AWS and Google Cloud. So I feel like that's going to be a big theme this year. I think, you know, we were joking about it, but advertising, I think, is going to become more and more important to Microsoft. Um, you're seeing ads pop up in things like Windows and Office more and more. People hate it, but I feel like Microsoft's realized, like, you know what? We have this huge captive audience for advertising with our software products. Why don't we take advantage of it and use it as a way to sell ads? Like, hey, you want to get ads in front of a billion people who are running Windows? Microsoft Advertising, we've got it. It's right here for you. So I think that, I don't know if they'll acknowledge that as a big theme this year, but I think it will be a big theme. And then there's a part of the company that I don't follow as closely as you do, which is all the stuff going on with gaming and their attempts to try to get more entrenched in the consumer market. And I think a lot is hinging on what happens with Microsoft and Activision there. Absolutely. I really thought it yeah. was going to be a slam dunk for them. And now I'm not so sure it's going to be that easy to get this deal approved if they even can get it approved. I am also not necessarily in the prognostication business. That yeah. said, if somebody forced me to guess, I would say it's eventually going to get through mm -hmm. with some additional concessions. Same. If you yep. look at the FTC complaint, it feels very thinly veiled. It's easy for someone like me who's a non-lawyer to look at it and go, that doesn't make sense in yeah. a lot of ways. So yeah. I realize it's not that simple, but I, I could see that. And boy, I agree with you that on the consumer side, so much hinges on that. And there's so much uncertainty right now around it that I can't even imagine like what their long-term planning would look like. I know. I keep thinking, okay, if if this falls through, what's Microsoft going to do? Like, are they going to try to buy another gaming company? Or what do you do? Like, we've got $60 billion in our pocket. What are we going to go buy now? Right? <laughs> I mean, a lot of people think they're going to buy OpenAI. I don't know if OpenAI is for sale, but that would make a lot of sense if, if they were. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, Big picture too, so much in the industry hinges on that FTC dispute with Microsoft. I think a lot of companies will look at it and say, if the FTC succeeds in blocking the deal, that it's not worth the fight for their own acquisition attempts uh, and maybe not do some deals. So it's potentially very important from a big picture industry perspective. Okay, Mary Jo, people I'm sure are wondering, like, what are you doing these days? Because folks know you from Windows Weekly and from ZDNet, and you're not there anymore. You're at Directions on Microsoft. What can you tell us? I am. Um, I feel like it was time for a change for me. And Directions on Microsoft, for people who don't know what it is, it's an analyst firm based in Kirkland, Washington. 
as their name indicates, specializes in Microsoft. So it was kind of a match made in heaven for me and them. Um, they cover Microsoft Enterprise topics, products, licensing, all the things I love to dig into. And my job there is editor-in-chief, which is a new job that they created just for me. That um, My job is to try to get more of their great content out in front of the firewall so that people can discover who they are, what they do, and then if applicable, you know, sign up for a boot camp. They do these licensing boot camps or sign up for the content that they provide um, on a subscription basis to their customers. So I'm kind of like, you know, the person who's in charge of get our message out there so that people know who we are and all this cool stuff that we know. Um, and it's been really fun. Uh, I get to work with the analysts who work there and create my own content too on the blog. We're doing a podcast twice monthly uh, for directions where we talk about enterprise topics, Microsoft enterprise topics. That's it. That's all we talk about. So it's almost like if Windows Weekly was all enterprise and no Xbox, this would be your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that yet. I've got to subscribe. What, what's it called? Yeah, it's called the Directions on Microsoft Briefing Podcast. It's in all your favorite podcast players. And every time I do an episode, I interview one of the Directions analysts on a topic. Um, so we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about how to negotiate your enterprise agreement with Microsoft. We've talked about what's really going on with Microsoft and Windows on ARM versus Apple Silicon. Um, we've talked about what's going on with GitHub versus what's happening in Azure DevOps and will the two ever meet? So we talk about all these very targeted, specific enterprise things that I feel like people who are in the Microsoft world at work who want to keep up with what's the latest in these areas, we're your perfect podcast. 30 minutes is all you have to commit. Nice. <laughs> all those are topics that I am interested in, but don't have the deep expertise in. So I'm looking forward to listening to that. Great. Thanks. Mary Jo, this is great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. Thank you, Todd. It was really fun. You can find Mary Jo Foley's work at directionsonmicrosoft.com slash blog. Thanks for listening. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop, and we will be back soon with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.